I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we'll be reading together verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where Luke writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege now of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Why do we do this every week? Why do we join together every week to worship our God? Why are you joining together online to worship with your church family right now? Why do we do these ministries and missions? For that matter, why do I do what I do? What is the purpose? Why are we the church? What is God looking for from us? I've been enjoying teaching a Bible study on Wednesday nights. It's a Bible study where people are there in person as well as people are joining us online. So you're welcome to do that as well. And it's been fun to be walking through the book of Acts. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, tells us the story of, of Jesus Christ and all that God has done through Jesus Christ. Then when Luke writes Acts, he tells us about the birth of the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, for example, we, we get to hear the story of how Jesus had worked among the people, he had lived among us from the Gospel of Luke, but he had been crucified, dying for our sins, rising that we might have life, and now he is preparing to ascend into heaven after spending 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, connecting the dots of the Old Testament into the Gospel message. And now the birth of the church. And just before Jesus ascends into heaven, the very last thing that he says as he's ascending into heaven is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witness. That Greek word that Jesus uses here, or Luke uses here to tell us the story is martus. It's kind of like when you're a witness in some legal event, when you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's when you share, this is what I saw. This is what happened. This is what I experienced. This is my testimony, my story. You see, God has intervened in an amazing way. So what is it that we are witnessing? It's what God has done through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. In other words, the calling and the challenge is for us to tell what has God done through Jesus the Christ. And what does that mean to me in my life? How has that impacted me in my life? And how does that impact the church? And thus, how does that impact the world. What are we witnessing? 
John 3, 16, scripture that so many of us know that God so loved the world. That's what we're witnessing is God so loving the world that he would give his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. I mean, what we're witnessing is the fact that, that God who created the world then created us because God wanted to be in relationship. And even though we turned against God, rebelled against God, violated all that God had said, God never gave up on us. God continually loves and seeks to intervene. You see it from Genesis to Revelation, and, and then ultimately you see it in and through the person of Jesus Christ. You will be my witnesses that God came to live among us. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been preaching and teaching the news of Jesus Christ, preaching, teaching, healing in the name of Jesus Christ, the religious leaders. They are so frustrated. They're so annoyed. They thought that they had silenced this whole Jesus thing when Jesus had been crucified on the cross. And now all of a sudden there's the story of the resurrection, Jesus appearing to so many, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The disciples are now preaching and teaching right on the temple steps again. What is going on here? And, and they have them arrested, brought back in, and they ask, by what name or what authority are you doing this? And Peter boldly proclaims, the very one who denied Jesus earlier, now boldly proclaims, we're doing this in the name of Jesus the Christ of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, but God raised from the dead. I mean, what are we witnessing? What are we sharing? Why is this so important? Well, Peter will then go on to say something pretty incredible. I mean, listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He said, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement. It's a powerful statement. You will be my witnesses. And what does he say? There's not another name. This is the name that is above all other names. As Paul tells us in Philippians, that God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. There's no other name given under heaven among mortals by which we must be saved. That word, the Greek word is sozo. It means to be saved, to be healed, to be made whole, to be made complete. Salvation then only comes through Christ and Jesus is going, and I need you to be my witnesses. I need you to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I need you to share this message with the world. But sometimes the church struggles a little bit with this message, especially the politically correct church. We struggle sometimes with, that just sounds exclusive. It, it, it just, it sounds a little harsh. It seems a little um, hard to kind of explain. And I love N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is an amazing biblical scholar. You've heard me quote him before. He is an Anglican priest, became an Anglican bishop, educated at Oxford. He is just one of the phenomenal New Testament scholars, taught at St. Andrews and, and Scotland, and now he's back at Oxford in England. But in his commentary on Acts, 
he says this beautiful thing. He said, all this gives reason to ask rather carefully just why it is that Acts 4.12 has been so unpopular within the politically correct climate of the last few generations in the Western world. No other name. People say this is arrogant or exclusive or triumphalist. So indeed, it can be if Christians use the name of Jesus to further their own power or prestige. But for many years now, in the Western world at least, the boot has been on the other foot. It is the secularist and the relativist who have acted the part of the chief priest, protecting their cherished temple of modernist thought, within which there can be no mention of resurrection, no naming of a name like that of Jesus. And the apostles, in any case, would answer, well, who else is there that can rescue people in this fashion? Wow. Well, who else is there that can rescue people in this fashion. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. It's a testimony, and Jesus said, I want you to witness to this. I want you to share this. You know this gospel message, and if this is true, if we really believe what the Scripture says is true, then it is critical that we, the church... Witness, you will be my witnesses here, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, wherever you may be. Now, one of the things that we often hear today is, well, I mean, that's kind of an old-fashioned theology. Actually, you know, God accepts us the way we are. We just want to be so uh, loving and kind, which we should be loving and kind, but the challenge of it is we sometimes do that at the expense of the gospel message. I mean, one of the things that I love in Acts chapter 10, you have this story where God will call a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius to send for Peter. At the same time, Peter will get a parallel vision where he will be called to go with the people that Cornelius is sending. And, and that God shows him, I need you to go and, and to do this. And Cornelius was a devout man. As a matter of fact, look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 10, verse 2. You will hear that he was a devout man. He feared God with all of his household, so it wasn't just him. He, he gave alms generously to the people, prayed constantly to God. If there was ever a case, this is a good man, this was a good man. And he was well spoken of, of all of those who were around. Now, if being a good person was all there was to it, why then would God have him to send for Peter to get the rest of the story? And why would God tell Peter, it is absolutely vital that you go and share the rest of the story? He was already a good man. He was already God-fearing. There had to be more. And N.T. Wright, later on in his same commentary, says, It is not the case, then, that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are. 
But responding to that invitation always involves the complete transformation which is acted out in repentance, forgiveness, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit. It is not the case then that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are. He invites us because God loves and adores us, but God is calling us to transformation. God is calling us to become the new creation and become the people that God is calling us to be. And Jesus said, you're my witnesses. I really need you to get this word out. I love the, the song by Crystal Lewis, Come Just As You Are. I mean, it, it's a beautiful song, Come Just As You Are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. I love when we sing that in worship. But the song is come just as you are, not stay just as you are. We come as we are so that God then has the opportunity to help us become who he's made us to be, who he meant for us to be, who he's called us to be. It reminds me in Acts chapter 2, after the story of Pentecost, you know the story where the Holy Spirit pours out and, and all of a sudden all the people hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God, and the word gospel means good news. They all hear this word in their own languages, and, and Peter then preaches the gospel to them, and at the end they go, wow, what should we do? What, what do we need to do? What shall we do, Peter? Help us. And, and Peter's response in Acts 2.38, is repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the testimony that we have today is that God has done something so powerful and unique in and through Jesus Christ. He's offered the world salvation. He's offered us forgiveness of our sins, the presence and power of His Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I really need you to be my witnesses. That's what we're witnessing. That's the gospel story that God so loves you. And that word repent, it's so often taken sometimes to, to beat down somebody and point down at someone, but it actually means to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your direction, to turn. To turn. Who is God calling us to be? God has done so much through Jesus Christ. But for the church to be effective, we have to know our witness. Kenda Dean wrote this amazing book years ago called Almost Christian. I commend it to you. And, and in it, she's using research from what you know, is said about people's beliefs and people's faith. And, and in her book, she says this thing that just is, is a gut punch to me anyway. And but hear what she says. The problem does not seem to be, the problem does not seem to be that churches are teaching young people badly. But what we are doing an exceedingly good job of is teaching what we really believe. Namely, that Christianity is not a big deal. That God requires little. 
And the church is a helpful social institution filled with nice people focused primarily on folks like us. Which, of course, she says, begs the question of whether we're really the church at all. Why do we do what we do? Because Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. And what are we witnessing? That God has done this amazing thing, but God is calling us to faith and God is calling us to discipleship. I don't think that that's the kind of witness Jesus was calling for. Jesus wanted us to call for a discipleship and to share the good news of what God is doing through Jesus Christ in a way that changes our lives restores our relationship with God. A God who so loves the world wants to be in relationship with us and with the rest of the world. God acted decisively in and through Jesus Christ. So why are we proclaiming? I mean, we know what we're proclaiming now, but why? Why is it important that we be witnesses? It's because we actually believe this. We, we actually believe this. It's our faith. It's our hope. It's our identity. It's, it's who we are. You see, being a Christian, it's not what we do. It's not what we do on Sundays. It's not what we do when we worship or pull up worship. It's who we are. It's our being. It's our essence. And Jesus then calls us to be witnesses, witnesses for him. We are called. Peter then goes on to say when he's, he's questioned and he's challenged, he, he said, look, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot keep from speaking about what we've seen and heard. We're witnesses. We can't help but speak about all that we've seen and heard. And that's what Jesus is looking for from us. Tell that story. What have you seen? What have you heard? Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. John Wesley said, I look upon all the world as my parish, Thus far I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it meet and right and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation. Man, the world is my parish. If somebody is open to hear it, it is my responsibility to make sure I tell it. You will be my witnesses. As a matter of fact, he said to his preachers, you have nothing more to do than to save souls. But the question may become for us, well, how do we do it? How do we witness? How do we teach? How do we share? How do we share this good news of what God is doing? In our church, one of the tenets of our mission statement is proclaiming the gospel with grace. Because I, I will confess, there were a lot of times when I was growing up, you would hear people witness or proclaim the gospel, and it sounded more like an angry God, just so frustrated with you, if you don't turn around and get straightened up, than a loving God who's heartbroken that your relationship is not what it could be. We know the 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But I love John 3, 17, which says, Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I mean, that's the connection. And if God did not come into the world to condemn the world, then perhaps the church shouldn't go into the world condemning the world, but rather loving. If God so loved the world, then perhaps the message for the church and how we witness is that we go into it so loving the world as well. Loving it enough, loving our neighbors enough, loving others enough that we want to share and be a witness of how much God loves and cares and calls us to be who he calls us to be. But Jesus knew you won't be able to do this on your own. There's no way you can do this by yourself. And that's why Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you'll be my witnesses. See, God doesn't ask us to do something that, that he's not willing to empower us to do. And so God calls us and God breathes on us in the story of Pentecost. Back to Acts chapter 4, verse 29. I love the fact that the church, when the church realized that proclaiming Jesus Christ wasn't going to be easy, the church prays. Check out the prayer. Acts 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Help us to be bold in our witness by the presence of your Holy Spirit and your power while you're at work reaching out your hand and while wonders and signs are being performed through the name of your servant, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God, breathe on your church again and help us to be faithful witnesses. Help us to be faithful Christians. Help us to be faithful disciples. And together, help us to be a faithful church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.